But right now, let's go to God's Word, and I'm going to read our passage today, which is found in Romans chapter 14, verses 6-9. through 9. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we come to the end of a year. And Lord, we rejoice to be walking with you as your children. Give us to rejoice. And give us also, Lord, hearts that will seek to make real commitments. Take real risks for the great God who loves us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Again, we ask that you would open our ears and open our minds and our hearts so that we will hear what you have to say for our joy, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Tis the season for New Year's resolutions. Yes, kind of a downer, isn't it? We celebrate, we party, we invite friends over, and we exchange gifts, and then we do New Year's. Yes, we often fail at our New Year's resolutions, and often spectacularly, and often because we look at it as the world does, as incarnated, for example, by Calvin and Hobbes himself, where Hobbes comes to Calvin and says, are you going to make a resolutions? Resolutions? Me? Just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect the way I am. Does anybody have that heart? I don't need to change. Sometimes we incarnate more as this lady does who says her New Year's resolution is to change you. Boy, that will win friends and influence people, won't it? New New Year's resolutions are also like the following where we decide to diet, we decide to exercise, and then we are quickly squirrel by the new cake that is sitting in front of us. Reality is, though, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, is more like the last one, where we realize, in the end, we really don't need to wait for New Year's to make a change. You don't have to wait to take great risks for the great God who will never leave you nor forsake you no matter what time of the year it is. And it is New Year's. And it is the time we start thinking about what resolutions might we make. My friends, you and I can choose now to grow in godliness by the small incremental steps 
that God's Word indicates is the way that you and I in this lifetime grow to become like Jesus. Someone once said, we vastly overestimate what we can do in a year and we vastly over underestimate what we can do in five. So this morning, let's take a biblical look at resolutions from a Christ-centered focus. Today, I want to glorify Jesus by helping you and me think through some biblical principles for developing and pursuing Christ-centered goals that can make a difference in the next five years and the next 5,000. But let's begin by looking at a couple reasons why so often we fail. We fail at our New Year's resolutions because we use an external motivation to change rather than an internal motivation to change. There are two reasons to learn the piano. One reason to learn the piano is because your mom and dad are staring at you and saying, if you don't practice your piano, I'm taking your iPad away. That is a sure way of making a kid hate piano. But... It's necessary to get them going. But what happens, Lord willing, is the internal motivation will take over. They start playing the piano and they start realizing, hey, I like this music. I want to practice. And then pretty soon we're saying, hey, don't you want your iPad back? No? You're either parents that don't have iPad kids or you haven't got there yet. Trust me, it'll be there. The intrinsic motivation is what we want. If, for example, you're planning to join a gym this year, you quickly need to make the change from I need to lose weight to I like what I'm doing at the gym. If you don't, you'll be like the millions who have gym memberships and they sit in their wallet and do nothing. Only internal motivation will enable a person to continue a good habit for very long. Which, by the way, also explains why bad habits are so easy to pick up and so hard to set down. Because our flesh, this sinful part of us, makes immediate pleasure a powerful internal motivator. But our resolutions also fail because the goals we make are either not godly... Or the, God, or the goals that we make aren't pursued for godly reasons. We don't have faith. We don't trust the power of godliness. For example, it isn't that losing weight is ungodly. It's that we often ground our desire to lose weight in terms of, I don't want to be embarrassed. Or, I want to feel better about myself. The same is true about any obnoxious habits you have. All of us have those things that we would like to get rid of because we're embarrassed by them. And if you make that the reason you are pursuing a New Year's resolution, it won't work. Our New Year's resolutions, in order to be godly, in order to be rooted in the power of godliness, need to be Christ-centered instead of me-centered. For example, if you're planning to read your Bible in 2016, you have a worthy goal. And you need to root that desire not in some plan to impress God, 
Instead, you need to root it in a desire to know God better. Because as you read His Word, you will know Him better. And as you know Him better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. This is good news, my friends. It is the power of godliness working in you because His Holy Spirit is showing you that He can enable you to do things like Read His Word. Don't live to impress God. Live in Him and you'll be impressed by what He can do, will do, in you and through you. And let me take a side note here. There is another reason we often fail at our resolution to read God's Word this year. We fail because we're unwilling to fail. What do I mean by that? Say your goal is to read the Bible in 2016 and you get to about January 17th and you miss. Or you get to about March or April and you get bogged down in Chronicles. We have a fear of failure that paralyzes us. And so what do we do? We throw it off. We say, forget it. I don't want to be bothered by that guilt. Don't be bothered by that guilt. Rather, breathe the grace of God and be willing to fail at it and pick up and say, Lord, help me. And guess what? Let's see. God wants you to read His Word. You ask Him to help you read His Word. What? Do you think He's not going to do it? Trust that he will. Don't let your fear of, par- failure, fear of failure paralyze you into ungodliness. Closely related to that, the third reason why we often fail at our resolutions is because we do not depend on the Holy Spirit. Someone is thinking here, I imagine, well, I've made some of my New Year's resolutions. Well, praise Jesus. If that's true, one of two things has been true of you. One, you really were depending on the Holy Spirit. Praise God. This sermon is just going to be a reminder for you to press on to bigger and better things. Amen. Go for it. I want to see you succeed. But the second thing also might be true. You did it on your own power and it made you into a whitewashed tomb. My friends, Satan is happy to let you give up drinking, for example, if thereby you become this self-righteous person that nobody wants to be around. Perhaps this year, you want to become more disciplined in your prayer time. That is a worthy goal. So what do you do? You develop a list of people and circumstances you want to pray about. You go to God's Word and you find passages that you can get involved in to God's Word so that you can start from there in your prayer. And the third step, because it takes three steps, you depend on the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to depend on the Holy Spirit? To depend on or walk in the Spirit is to consciously consider God as you do what you do. As you take those steps of discipline, you consciously think of God being there with you as you are. All the while, all this time you're exercising this discipline, you are trusting that He will guide you as He promises to do. 
And this leads us to the real reason why our resolutions fail as Christians. Because in the end, we are not living as if Christ is Lord of all. My friends, this is the area where we can and often do fail. And the one we're going to look at today. What I want to impress upon our hearts today is probably nothing new to anybody who's walked with Christ for any amount of time. We must change. And in order to change, we need to know and trust the promises of God for us in Christ. Primarily today, the one we're looking at is Christ is Lord of all. So let's pick up how we get this from Romans chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. What end? That he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Now before we can see how we get trusting the promises from this, we need to see how this paragraph fits in the larger context. In Romans 14, in the first half of 15, Paul is instructing his readers, you and me, on how to handle matters where Bible-believing and Christ-honoring Christians can and very often do disagree. What do we do in the church when godly people disagree? Well, Paul is telling us. And his chief point in telling us how to deal with these issues is found in verse 19. He says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul wants you to so live, and Paul wants us to so live together that we are pursuing the best thing in any given situation. What is it that will bring about peace in this situation? What is it that will bring about mutual upbuilding in this situation? What brings maturity to those involved? Pursue these things as opposed to whatever hot-button issue you may have or whatever pet peeve you're holding on to. Now, this is simply another way of describing love. If you love someone, you will pursue, you will chase after, you will try your best to succeed at making peace and mutual upbuilding. It should not surprise us that Paul would emphasize the central Christian virtue of love in a passage on how to deal with questions Christians can disagree on. It should not surprise us that Paul would emphasize the central Christian virtue of love in a passage where we get instruction on how to make New Year's resolutions either. Ones that are designed to help you and I grow in godliness. But what is it about pursuing love? What is the ground? What is the reason? Paul gives us one reason in our passage. And that is Christ is Lord of all. Let me read our passage again and this time include verse 6 and see if you notice anything. The one who observes the day 
observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. When dealing with issues that Bible-believing and Christ-honoring disciples disagree on, and when dealing with issues like on how to grow in godliness in 2016, Paul wants one thing to be preeminent. Did you catch it here in verse 6? As we go through these verses, I want you to have this Paul, Paul's phrase ringing in your ears. In honor of the Lord. So that's where we get Paul's point that Christ is Lord of all. Then in verse 7, he first expresses it negatively. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Paul uses life and death in verses 7 and 8 because they're bookends of everything to our lives. In mentioning life and death, Paul means to be all-inclusive of everything that you will ever experience on this planet. There is no aspect of the Christian's life that is in reference to himself alone. No sin is private. Every sin that you and I commit affects every single person you know, every single relationship you have, your sin is never in honor of the Lord. Then Paul states his point, Christ is Lord of all, positively. Verse 8, he says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Again, the bookends of death and life. Every aspect of the Christian's life is lived in reference to God. Every virtue is public. Every time you rely on the Spirit, you become more and more the man or woman of God that He created you to be. Therefore, you impact those who are around you because they see someone who values their relationship with the Lord more than whatever glittering thing is before our eyes. Your goodness is always in honor of the Lord. Which brings us to verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Now here the bookends, life and death, that he has in verses 7 and 8 change. Paul changes how he's using them in verse 9. And in keeping with death and life, Paul is reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he wants to tell us, Jesus died and lived so that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Because Christ is Lord of all. Now don't make a mistake here. It's an easy one to make. 
Christ's death and resurrection didn't make Him Lord. He didn't become Lord when He rose from the grave. Jesus was and is Lord long before His birth in Bethlehem. But Christ's Lordship was established here in Paul's mind in the sense that Christians who live in this way demonstrate that He is Lord of us. Christians who pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding, as he says in verse 19. Christians who make their relationship with Christ the most important factor in their choices, as he says in verses 7 and 8. We demonstrate that Christ is Lord of all. And we do this as we live. We do this as we die. And we do this as we do everything in between. Acknowledge Christ. Value Christ. Think about Christ more than toys or circumstances or relationships because Christ is Lord of all. And Christ is already Lord of all. Make no mistakes. In fact, one of the glories of this time of year, I was driving down the road and I heard Celine Dion singing, O Holy Night. Now, it may not surprise you that Celine Dion is not my very favorite singer in the world. That's because I think she's targeting 40-year-old women instead of 40-year-old men. But be that as it may, she did a really good version on this song. And this is what I heard her say. Behold your king. Before him lowly bend. And then she sang, Christ is the Lord. His name Forever praise we. Amen. I'm driving down the road singing amen to a person who I hope, I pray that she will mean this before it is too late. And it is the promise of our passage. It is the promise that is alluded to by John Sullivan Dwight as he wrote O holy night, and it is the promise alluded to, spoken by Celine Dion as she sang it Christ is Lord of all. And one day, not too soon, it will no longer be obscured by the current rebellion. My friends, this is a promise you can trust. You can trust that Christ is Lord of all, and you can live your life accordingly. So how do we do that? How do you and I go about intelligently making and keeping effective New Year's resolutions as we are guided by God's Holy Spirit? First of all, we need to recognize that Christ is Lord of all. One tool for reminding ourselves of His Lordship is to use what has been called the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Many of you are familiar with this in a different context, but let me tell you, with Christian eyes, this is the truth. This prayer is an effective tool for reminding yourself that our goals must, not, must be about things that we can change. My attitudes, my actions. Not those attitudes and actions of other people or things about which we have absolutely no control 
about those things, all we can do is pray and trust that Christ is Lord of all. And my friends, there are many things that you and I cannot change. We cannot change the fact that our eyes or our ears are bad. We cannot change for other people the fact that they have to suffer with the curse of having hair on their heads. And we cannot change the fact that bad things have happened in our lives. Have bad things happened to you? Indeed they have. And you can't change that. But you can recognize that Christ is Lord of all. And He intends to use whatever bad things have happened to make you the man or the woman of God that He has created you to be. So what can we change? We can change our attitude from that of fear to that of courage as we face our overwhelming difficulties. Paul tells us this, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What is your birthright, Christian? Your birthright is not a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self-control. The promises of God embolden us to work for our joy and for His glory so that we change. Change when we're tempted to be distracted as we pray. Change when we're tempted to anger because we don't get our way. Change when we're tempted to give in because we failed to read Chronicles again. This is power. This is love. And this is self-control that is motivated by a trust in the promises that Christ is Lord of all. And He is the one that you can trust to change your thoughts so that your heart, your attitudes, and so your body, your actions may follow. So trust the promises of God for you in Christ. And the chief promise in this passage, there are hundreds of them found throughout Scripture that we can't even begin to address today. But the one today that we're looking at is that Christ is Lord of all. This is the promise you can remember. Remember this promise so that your goal setting as you end this year may be Christ-centered and may be Spirit-empowered. So where do I get the title of the sermon? Death and the Promises of God. Death is the one remaining bookend of your life. Everyone here is alive, and everyone here, should the Lord tarry, will die. So that's the bookend. Everything between now and then must be lived in light of the promises of God for you in Christ. Christ is Lord of all. So as you plan your goals for growing in godliness in 2016, make as your primary thought that Christ is Lord even of this situation that I'm seeking to change. You may want to lose weight. That may be a worthy goal. Christ is Lord of all. 
This means that you need to think about your body as if Christ has authority of it and not yourself. You need to look at this goal in terms of bringing glory to God rather than just not being embarrassed or rather than just trying to impress somebody. Those are goals that are not worthy. Those are goals that are not sufficiently based in godliness to actually bring about Christian growth in godliness. You may want to read the Bible through this year. Again, that is a worthy goal. Christ is Lord of all. This means you need to think about your Bible reading as it is meant to be considered. As an opportunity for you to know God better. Not just check off a box off your list. Not just to impress your Sunday school teacher or your small group leader. But as what it is for you to know God better and therefore love Him and trust Him more, which is exactly what God created you to do. You may want to grow in your ability to pray. That is a worthy goal. Christ is Lord of all. You need to think about your prayer time as time spent in direct communication with the Spirit, not as something you got to do when you get up in the morning. You, if praying more effectively is your goal this year, listen, you will do discipline work. It will be tough. You will not pray if you don't discipline yourself to do it. And in your discipline, remember, it is also a grace. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And let your mind dwell there. Let it dwell in the reality of the grace of the almighty living God who loves you and will never leave you nor forsake you. Otherwise, your prayer will simply be a burden. And you will not be trusting in the promises of the Lord. And you will not be recognizing and living by the fact that Christ, not my desires, not impressing my small group leader, but Christ is Lord of all. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, let us live in light of the fact that You are Lord of all. Give us, as we end this year, to trust Your promises, to trust that You are God over our lives so that we may make effective goals for growing in godliness in the year 2016. And give us grace that we may do it, filling our hearts with Your power, with Your love, and with Your self-control, and turning our backs on fear. Glorify Your name, Jesus, by doing it in us and through us for our joy, for Your glory, and the growth of Your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen.